Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Good morning, everyone. It's a lot closer right here than it is back there, and I'm thankful. Um, It's wonderful to see you all today. Um, We have been discussing the significance of these building blocks, right? First one that we talked about in our series was the building block of prayer. And then the next week, we talked about the significance of the Sabbath. And today, like Pastor Adrian said, we're going to embark on a new journey, a new building block. And that is the building block of worship, of worship. So imagine these building blocks as the very foundation of our spiritual house, right? So we're going to talk about worship today, but I thought it would be fun to start off with a worship fail video. Has anybody ever watched these on YouTube? Listen, it is not easy to lead worship. And um, this one, if you can imagine, it's Easter Sunday. There is an Easter production going on. The church hires a professional singer. And as we all know, at the end of the Easter story, we see that Jesus comes out of the tomb, but something goes a little wrong. There's a little more action behind the tomb than they maybe anticipated. So go ahead and take a look. It's a little dark, but I think you'll be able to see. Take note, no pyrotechnics at Easter. Got it. Got it. (laughs) So it's easy what we can see can go wrong in worship. So let's take a little time to see what is right in worship. We're going to be in two uh, portions of our Bible today. If you brought your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. Um, Or you can join us on the YouVersion event. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, and then we're also going to be in Luke chapter 7. So go ahead and put your... Um, mark there or hold it with your fingers because we're not going to be in one too long before we go to the other. 
And as we drop in in John chapter 4, Jesus imparts profound wisdom to a Samaritan woman about worship, right? This woman came to the well in the hottest part of the day, most likely to avoid the criticism and the ridicule uh, for her sinful life that she had been living. And there she encounters Jesus, who had also gone quite out of his way to meet with her. And as they're discussing and they're talking, Jesus exposes her sin And in the conversation, she realizes this man, Jesus, knows a whole lot more about her than she realized. And she says, well, you must be a prophet. You must be a prophet. So tell me, since you're a prophet, the Jews worship in Jerusalem and the Samaritan woman worshiped on Mount Gerizim. So she's like, which is it? Which is the right place? Is it Jerusalem or is it Mount Gerizim? And she's super concerned here. And this is where we start to read on John chapter 4, verse 21. It says, Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. And while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Everyone say it with me, in spirit and in truth. Jesus is explaining to this woman and to us And that worship is not merely a religious act. It's a condition of the heart that God desires for it to be an integral part of our everyday lives. See, the woman was concerned about the where. The Samaritan woman was fixated on the physical location of worship. This place or that place, which one's right? But Jesus was much more concerned about the how. Many people today tend to place excessive emphasis on the external elements of worship, don't they? Such as the style of the music, the appearance of the place that they worship, the attire of the worshipers. For instance, some might prioritize the aesthetics of a church, of a church building over the sincerity of their worship. Or they might judge the quality of the worship service solely based on how well the worship team did that day rather than the condition of their own hearts. And I promise you that none of those external aspects of worship matter to God as much as they matter to us. Jesus is much more concerned about the heart of the worshiper than the location in which they worship. The how is what matters to Jesus. What is critical is the how. He tells her worship in spirit and in truth. So let's take a moment to just unpack them one at a time, could we? Worship in spirit emphasizes a heart condition with God. It's a heart condition. It's a heartfelt connection. Worship in spirit means that the worshiper's heart and the spirit are fully engaged in the act of worship. 
It involves a, a deep, a personal and sincere connection with God. It's not about going through the motions or following the rituals with genuine devotion. God wants us so much more than that. He wants so much more than simply checking off, I sang to Jesus box. He wants to meet with you. And that's what worship's all about. When Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit, he's emphasizing the importance of deep, sincere, and authentic connection with God that goes beyond the outward appearance of religious rituals. It's about engaging the heart and the spirit in a genuine encounter with the divine. I don't know about you, but I've never been to a greater appointment than that. The core of worship isn't about what's going on up here. The core of worship is what's happening in here. It's a heartfelt connection. I've been reading this book. It's called The Reset. It was given to me at a recent conference that I attended. It's written by Jeremy Riddle, who has written many of the worship songs that we sing here. And listen to what he says. Worship will never get more powerful the more things you add to it. Because its power has never flowed from its form, its power has always flowed from his presence. How do I know this is true? In 2019, I had the absolute privilege to take a missions trip to Cuba. Now, this was a dream come true for me. It's where my family was originally from. My mother came here in the early 1970s. And so as I was growing up as a little girl, she would tell me all about her country, but for many years we could never visit. And so when I had the opportunity to go, I hopped right on it. And when I say Cuba has little to nothing, I mean the people there have little to nothing. They have no lights, they have few instruments, they have vocals, but they have something even more. They have amazing hearts for worship. Take a look. The lyrics of that song are, I'm going to praise God with my hands, with my feet, and with my mouth, and the Holy Spirit will touch me. They know what it means to have nothing, but they also understand that they need nothing to have a heart of worship. They are worshiping in spirit. They have a heartfelt connection with God, and that's all they need, and that's all they have. That's worshiping in spirit. Jesus also informs the woman that we are to worship in truth. So let's take a look at worshiping in truth. Truth is inseparable from God. Truth characterizes the nature of God. Without knowing God, we can't understand how or why we worship. 
When I was uh, back in Pennsylvania, we had a ministry, part of our, I was children's director at the time, and we used to have a fundraiser where we'd go to the Little League World Series. Have y'all have heard of the Little League World Series? That was really close to where um, I was from in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So we'd go to the Little League World Series and we would be part of a concession stand there to raise money for our children's ministry. And so now let me tell you that um, I have been well-trained by my husband to react to a certain combination of colors, and that combination is blue and maize, not yellow, it's maize, um, because we, well, he is a die-hard Michigan fan. Any fellow Michigan fans in the room? Oh. One, look at that, we have one. (laughs) That's awesome. So I'm at the concession stand and there's people from all over the world at the Little League World Series. And I see, now we're in Penn State country, so we're used to being the only one, right? Everyone is rooting for Penn State. And uh, I see this gentleman walk by and he's wearing a blue and maize Michigan shirt. So as I've been trained to do, I shout out across the line that is waiting to get their food, and I go, go blue! And the man looks at me, and he was so happy. He comes over to me, and he's like, oh, you're a Michigan fan? That's amazing! He, and he starts spouting out all of these statistics and all about the players and he's going on and on and I am looking at him and going oh dear man I am so sorry I know nothing about Michigan except that their colors are blue and maize and um yeah that's it that's all I know (laughs) and he was so disappointed because here I was rooting for a team shouting for a team that I knew nothing about I kind of felt a little bit like an imposter, right? The knowledge of who God is is what distinguishes true worship. See, I wasn't a real fan. I didn't know a whole lot about him. I was just rooting him on. But God desires so much more for us than that. He wants us to know him. And then because of what we know of him, we can worship him in truth. That's why each week as the worship team, we spend some time before service reading over the scriptures in which we sing together, and we see where each of the songs are rooted from. Because worshiping the truth in truth is our only desire. God sets us apart as believers for him. His truth sets us apart. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the message about Christ, the truth, in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. I love how God not only provides merely instruction, but he always has his word filled with examples, right? So when we we're talking about prayer and we look back, we can see an example that God gave us that we know now as the Lord's prayer, right? And then when we talked about the Sabbath, it was very simple to go back and see all the ways that God gave us examples that he also took uh, a day of rest. But worship is no different. So let's go ahead and let's turn to Luke 7. I told you we'd get there soon. And let's take note of this awesome example of a woman who unashamedly worshiped Jesus. 
I facilitated a study, um, Jesus and Woman, by Christy McClelland a few years ago, and it forever changed my understanding. So while you turn to Luke 7, I want to give you a little bit of insight of what it looks like for the Middle Eastern culture um, to host a guest in their home. Okay, so we're going to look at this as we prepare to look at the story through Middle Eastern lenses. You ready? Here are some of the expectations of a host when they would have a guest come to their house. They'd give them a kiss of welcome. So the guest would come in and they would receive a kiss. The host would then take the guests and wash their feet, or they might have a servant wash the guests' feet, because of course they're wearing sandals, there's dirt roads, and I promise you their feet were nasty. So I'm not sure for whose benefit the washing of the feet were, <laughs> but they washed their feet. And then the host would take olive oil for the guests' hands or their head, and they would use it as a way of cleansing for soap. But then the esteemed guest, they would be anointed with a special oil. So almost like an extra dose, an extra dose of hospitality. And hospitality is and was super important to the Middle Eastern culture, as well as generosity. And so when a Pharisee asked Jesus to come to his home, Jesus would expect for this to occur because it was just common practice. And so when I say that Jesus came to their home to have dinner with the Pharisees, and we think of them sitting around a table, we often think, well, they were sitting at a table with chairs the way we all do at home, right? That was very different. Let's take a look at this next picture. This is probably a little bit more of what it looked like. So their head was towards the table. They would lean on their left, and then they would take their right hand to grab their food, and their feet would be toward the wall. But here's what you're not seeing. If I was able to take this picture and I was able to expand it, and I was able to expand the photo out, you would see that, remember I said, hospitality and generosity was very important to the Middle Eastern culture. And so what they would do is they would, a host would invite guests, um, outcasts, sinners, um, those who were poor, and they would invite them in and they would sit against the wall around the table behind the guests. So that once the guests were finished eating, they would be able to eat whatever was left over. So there was a large distinction with who was in and who was out. So Jesus is at the table, and he has this encounter with someone who's sitting up against the wall. Let's read together in Luke 7. It's kind of long, so bear with me as we go through. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, and her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver, to one and 50 pieces to the other. 
But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. So who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one from whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from this time, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Church, this woman was a worshiper in spirit and in truth. Because worship is intentional. This woman didn't just happen to have an alabaster jar of perfume in her back pocket. She knew who she was going to encounter. She came prepared to worship. Remember, the special guest was anointed with oil, and this woman knew that she was going to be in the presence of Jesus, a very special guest, and she came prepared to honor him and to worship him. So I wonder if we were to evaluate our preparation when we come to worship, if we would honestly say that we're coming prepared and expectant to be in his presence. Because this woman surely was. Worship is worthy of our best and not our leftovers. Remember, those who were against the wall would only get the leftovers, but the woman gave Jesus her best. She gave him all she had. The perfume in this alabaster jar was understood to be probably about a year's worth of income. So remember, she was a woman against the wall, which tells us that she had a lot of reasons not to be honored at this table, nonetheless have any business owning such possession. And here she is pouring it over Jesus's feet. And not only did she pour this expensive perfume over Jesus, but she gave him her tears and then she wiped them with her hair. Listen, a woman during this time would never let her hair down. Her hair was her glory. The only man who probably saw her hair down would have been perhaps her husband, which she probably wasn't married. So the fact that she let her hair down and is now pouring um, perfume and crying over Jesus, a holy rabbi in the house of a Pharisee. Listen, this was scandalous. This was crazy in the eyes of those who were watching this take place. This scene was, to say the least, out of the norm. But worship has to occur in his presence. And this woman did exactly that. 
See, worship, she wasn't just being emotional. Oftentimes we relate to a powerful worship experience with having an emotional experience. And listen, the Holy Spirit often stirs emotions during worship. I have cried during worship. I have cried in his presence. Worship in spirit is much more, though, than just an emotional response. However, oftentimes the move of the Holy Spirit unleashes emotion. I mean, how could you not react with emotion when you come to the revelation of how good God is, of his healing, of his mending, of everything that he encompasses? That does stir emotion. But when we're in the presence of God, we cannot not worship. I'm going to say that again. When you are in the presence of God, you cannot not worship. Is that a double negative? Probably. (laughs) The woman knew. If Jesus is going to be there, he's going to be worshiped. I'm going to give him all I have, and all I have are my tears and this perfume. It's what we were created and commanded to do, and she did it beautifully. Listen to what it says in Psalm 29 too. It says, honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. See, worship is expressive and it's participatory. I often have told the teams that I've worked with, and I've told this team as well, and they laughed at me, but it's so true. Are you ready? I'm going to tell you too. If you love Jesus and you know it, Tell your face. (laughs) Worship is driven by love, and sometimes it breaks societal norms. The scriptures are filled with worship looking a little out of the normal. Filled. Let me name a few. David dancing with barely any clothes on. Daniel, he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to God, even though he was forbidden to do so. The Israelites, they marched around a wall, blaring their trumpets and shouting, waiting for the walls to come tumbling down. This woman with the perfume understood who Jesus was, and she gave him all of her worship. These examples, they convict me. And these are just a few examples. There there are plenty more this display of surrender to the one who deserves our praise, they put aside their pride and they put all else aside to elevate God and to show him his worth, not worrying about what others may think. So you might be sitting here going, but you know, Jeanette, I'm an introvert. I don't express because it's just not who I am, right? I might look silly. I get you. But help me understand this. I'm going to leave it at that. Worship is a lifestyle. Recently, I connected with a friend I hadn't seen in a while, and I was astounded by their dramatic weight loss. And I couldn't help but feel a little bit envious, to be honest. So I was like, hey, how did you lose all this weight? And their response was enlightening. They said, I didn't go on a fad diet for a while. It was a lifestyle change. I altered my exercise routine, my eating habits, my perspective on food, and that's how I lost the weight. 
Today, I want to challenge you to look at worship as a lifestyle. Much like my friend's journey in the weight loss, it's not a quick magic pill. It's, instead, it's a series of decisions. It's a shift in our perspective. It's a knowing of who God is and how we respond to him. Because worship is, it requires obedience. And our obedience demonstrates trust and love for him. Obedience is a tangible expression of love and trust. Listen, I don't think I ever wrestled with Jesus more than when I knew I was being called to leave a church that I had only been to and I was the only church I had ever known and really ever served at. I remember Brian going to bed at night and I would stay up in the living room literally wrestling with God. I remember my gut and how it felt and I would just cry. I thought it was a terrible idea. (laughs) I wanted reasons why I shouldn't surrender, but it took a moment of surrendering to being obedient. And once I surrendered to being obedient, you know what I received? Clarity and peace. And at that moment, God said to me that he needed me to worship him with my obedience. And it needed to be more than just the songs I sang on Sunday mornings. In that moment, God was having me worship through my obedience, and I can testify and say, God knew exactly what he was doing. So if you don't see yourself as an expressive worshiper, can I challenge you with this? What if you chose one thing today? Like maybe you're somebody who doesn't listen to worship music in the car, and today you're going to go, you're going to leave after this, and you're going to change the station, and that's going to be the one thing you do for right now. Or maybe you're not somebody who claps at church or who shuffles their feet and dance. Or maybe you're not somebody who raises their hands or sings. Today, can I challenge you to just choose one of those things, one of those things, and use them to give God back what's his and show your expression during worship. Step outside your comfort zone. Here are some other things you can do to worship God. You can use your gifts to serve. Pastor Julie and her crew would love some people to help love on babies. We could use some folks to work upstairs in our tech booth and help run equipment. That's a form of worship. Participating in intercessory prayer, giving tithes and offerings, helping someone in need, the list goes on and on. Listen to what it says in Revelation 7. It says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Spoiler alert. We're going to be worshiping for the rest of eternity. So we might as well spend some time perfecting it now. Because if you make your worship your lifestyle, you will have life. That's exactly what Jesus offered the woman. He said, you are forgiven. And she went and she lived a life continuing to worship and being obedient to God. I'm thankful. Church, each one of us was created to worship, but don't take my word for it. Take a look at this video.
you're probably saying, well, his parents probably taught him that song. And he just sang a song he knew, like the ABCs. All right, I get it. Take a look at this one. So maybe his hands were propped up that way. Nick, you baby. It's possible, I guess. Okay. Check this one out. Pay attention to the baby's hands. I don't think there's any doubting that we were created to worship. If you couldn't see the baby's hands as his dad sang to him a worship song, the baby raised his hand or her hand, I'm not sure. <laughs> We've explored the profound aspect of true worship today, and I urge you to examine your hearts. Who do you worship? What is your response to God's goodness and his worthiness? showing his worth and responding with gratitude and love. Just as these building blocks support our spiritual house, let us offer God our entire selves, a living sacrifice in worship, just as the woman in the alabaster jar did, unashamedly and without hesitation. I was a teacher prior to being called to ministry. And every time I preach, I try to have something that you do because I believe that you'll remember what you did more than what you hear. And so around the room, you'll see there are two tables in the front and one in the back. And these jars, the smaller jars, I know they aren't actually alabaster jars, but they sure reminded me of it when I opened up the box and saw them. And so I'm going to encourage you as we sing this next song that you would do just as the woman did. I want to encourage you to evaluate your worship to God and are you worshiping in spirit and in truth? And then go to the table and pour just some of the water, not all of it, so that there's enough for everyone, from the smaller vases into the larger one, acknowledging that today starts a renewal in your worship to the Lord that from this moment forward, you will show him his worth and you will express your worship unashamedly to the one who deserves our praise. Yes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a good God who loves us and that you are a God who continually shows us your goodness. Lord, you are worthy. How can we not give you our all? Lord, I pray that today, starting this day forward, that this church would be renewed in their worship for you. Not just here on Sunday mornings, 
Although I know you desire that too from us, Lord. But when they leave this place, would their worship be so easy to spot that others would want to know who it is they worship? And that we would be able to tell them that we worship a God who is good and a God who is worthy. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.